Welcome to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws, a show about all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen. Good morning, Poetry Outlaws. Yes, I'm sure you could hear from my voice that I have some kind of lung congestion, coughing and such. Uh, This just started a couple days ago while I was almost, well, in the middle of interviewing Catherine Lantier. And uh, it continues, but it's not getting worse, so that's good. Uh, Yeah, when I was interviewing Catherine, she mentioned that when she was a very, very young poet in Kingston that she was championed when she was, you know, 13, 14 years old by Bronwyn Wallace, who must have been uh, in her 30s at that point. And I had Bronwyn Wallace on my list of, of Canadian poets to do homages for. So I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to do it now. I've got uh, two more homages and two more interviews before the end of season five, which has been 99% homages and all Zoom interviews with just one grr and no individual discussions of poems this time or interviews that are uh, undertaken on a live basis. But I'm hoping season six, I can bring that back to you. So I never met Brahma Wallace. She was born in 1945 and she died at the very young age of 44 in 19. 89. Um, I was a teenager and I had already read her. I'd started really delving through the shelves of the Burnaby Public Library and I remember encountering her in uh, Gary Geddes anthologies and collections of uh, poems by women poets and I remember being struck at the time by her immense breadth of ability to narratively explore the particulars of of women's lives and I think I was probably a little taken aback by um, her honesty at the time I guess it I, I knew so little myself I was just at the beginning and yet I knew she was important she was vital and she was so connected to to the world to you know being a mother to uh, working in a shelter for battered women to uh, fighting for rights such as abortion. And I think of, you know, the condition our world is in now where we're still once again fighting for abortion rights, where we're dealing with another blow to the Me Too movement. And uh, lots of things seem tenuous and and violent and just edged with uh, suspicion and paranoia and uncertainty and fear, especially since uh, the pandemic began. So I think that we need Brahman Wallace's uh, voice and poems more than ever now. It's just such a shame she died so young of cancer. I'll just read you her bio from the Canadian Encyclopedia and then um, a little commentary on her by Anita Leahy. And uh, then I'll read one of her poems. So Brahman Wallace, poet, short story writer, essayist, she was born and died in Kingston, which is where Steve Hyden lived as well. Um, she was educated at Queens. She wrote five books of poetry exploring the effects of change and memory on our hidden lives. Her poems speak of the unexpected rituals and objects that may tell the stories of our lives more accurately than we ourselves could. Her works of poetry include Common Magic from 1985, 
The Stubborn Particulars of Grace, 87, which contains a sequence that describes the poet's experiences of working in the shelter. Uh, and then after her death, there was a series of prose poems that were put out called Keep That Candle Burning in 1991. And then she had a book of short stories called People You'd Trust Your Life To that focused on the Kingston of cheap apartments, laundromats, fast food, and domestic violence, which she depicted with toughness and compassion. She also wrote columns on feminist thought for the Kingston Whig Standard, which are collected in Arguments with the World. It came out in 92, and she created two documentary films, one on a close friend's battle with Hodgkin's disease, All You Have to Do, from 1982, and That's Why I'm Talking, a profile of contemporary for contemporary Canadian poets. So in The Walrus, there's a really lovely essay um, in memoriam of uh, Brahman Wallace by Anita Leahy, who says, well, she's the next generation, um, and she's acknowledging the influence and the fierceness of Wallace. Uh, she says in this paragraph, as much as she was a writer, Wallace was also a feminist in the activist sense. She helped run a woman's bookstore in Windsor, where she lived during the 70s. After moving back to Kingston in the 80s, she became involved with Interval House and taught writing at Queen's University. She wrote a feminist column. As I just said, she once spoke for abortion rights in the House of Commons alongside a group of women who chained themselves in protest. Uh, it's, just, it's just, you know, like with the environmental movement, feminist movement, I mean, we're just constantly... Um, dealing with these attacks against our basic rights and, you know, relentlessly having to fight against them. It just never ends. And she chose to do so as a person and through her art. In a talk she gave in 1987, she spoke of the day when, as a student 21 years prior, she'd attended her first meeting about the women's movement. She recalled, for me, that meeting represented the first time I had ever been in a room full of women talking consciously about their lives, trying to make sense of them, trying to see how the unique and private anecdotes became part of a story that gave each of our lives a public and collective meaning as well. That's harder and harder to do today as a collective group of women. So let's return to Brahman Wallace and see what her poetry has to announce to us in its length and also its short lines, its uh, pattern rhythms of uh, recounting, of anecdote, of conversation and connection. And this is one of probably her most well-known pieces. It's called A Simple Poem for Virginia Woolf. And it's about that, you know, endless contrast between our ideals and our realities and the the notion of the sense of literary purity versus the quotidian, you know, tangibilities that are often challenging about the everyday. So thank you, Bronwyn Wallace. This started out as a simple poem for Virginia Woolf. You know, the kind we women writers write these days in our own rooms, on our own time, a salute, a gesture of friendship, a psychological debt paid off. I wanted it simple and perfect, round, hard as an egg. I thought only once I'd said egg, I thought of the smell of bacon grease and dirty frying pans and whether there were enough for breakfast. I couldn't help it. I wanted the poem to be carefree and easy like children playing in the snow. I didn't mean to mention the price of snowsuits or how even on the most expensive ones, the zippers always snag just when you're late for work and trying to get the children off to school on time. A straightforward poem for Virginia Woolf, that's 
all I wanted, really, not something tangled in domestic life the way Jane Austen's novels are tangled with her knitting, her embroidery, whatever it was she hid them under. I didn't mean to go into all that, didn't intend to get confessional and tell you how every time I read a good poem by a woman writer, I'm always peeking behind it, trying to see if she's still married or has a lover at least, wanted to know what she did with her kids while she wrote it or whether she had any. And if she didn't, if she'd chosen not to, or if she did, did she choose? And why I didn't mean to bother with that, and I certainly wasn't going to tell you about the time my best friend was sick in intensive care, and I went down to see her, but they wouldn't let me in because I wasn't her husband or her father, her mother. I wasn't family. I was just her friend, and the friendship of women wasn't mentioned in hospital policy, or how I went out and kicked a dent in the fender of my car and sat there crying because if she died, I wouldn't be able to tell her how much I loved her, though she didn't, and we laugh about it now. But that's what got me started, I suppose, wanting to write a gesture of friendship for a woman, for a woman writer, for Virginia Woolf, and thinking I could do it easily, separating the words from the lives they come from. That's what a good poem should do, after all, and I wasn't going to make excuses for being a woman, blaming years of silence for leaving us so much to say. This started out as a simple poem for Virginia Woolf. It wasn't going to mention history or choices or women's lives, the complexities of women's friendships or the countless gritty details of an ordinary woman's life that never appear in poems at all. Yet even as I write these words, those ordinary details intervene between the poem I meant to write and this one, where the delicate faces of my children, faces of friends, of women I have never even seen, glow in the blank pages and deeper than any silence, press around me, waiting their turn. You've been listening to Miss Lyrics, Poetry Outlaws. Don't forget to support her on Patreon, and stay fierce, word musicians.